So I'm sitting over here, and I decided I was, I, I thought up of another lesson idea. And it just is one sentence. I yield my time to Cameron and the praise team to lead more songs. <laughs> but alas, life is full of disappointments. hard to sing the songs and watch faces and not tear up. <clears throat> Jesus enjoyed being alone. We get a lot of lessons from, um, from his time when we go off in lonely places. Um, the prayer, the solitude, the silence. And those are great lessons of spiritual disciplines. We want to apply them in our life. But Jesus was a, a, a people person. He loved being with people, his disciples, his friends, um, he would be with believers, he would be with unbelievers, he was in the crowd. Um, the last night, I'll show you a picture. This is uh, last night, Academic Building Steps, Devo. If uh, Jesus was strolling through BCS last night, I think it'd be in the middle. Not the center of attention, but hugging, clapping, laughing, singing, high-fiving, fist-bumping. He'd be right in the center. I've heard before that Jesus loved people so much that one of the best ways, it's not original with me and I can't trace it back, um, of an explanation of what Jesus did in the gospel through Jesus is he ate good food with bad people. <laughs> He'd be where people are. He'd be at Rose's. <laughs> There's a bunch of people at Rose's. Head over there a little while, you'll see what I'm talking about. God's also always been about people, his people. He's not just created us. He's wanted to be with us. It's what he yearns for, fellowship. Not just you and me, but with him. It's the heart of God, people. I don't know if some of y'all remember um, when I was smaller, younger, and uh, after Sunday night church, We'd be running around, and my parents, one of them would come and say, hey, we got some company coming over tonight. I love that. We don't say it much anymore, hey, we got company coming up. We invite some company over. Jesus would love company. I remember when they would tell me that, I would be, you know, so excited because usually the company meant all the old people were going to be in there eating dessert and drinking coffee, and all of us young kids would be running amok in the neighborhood or in the, the dark darkness playing high go seek hiding behind big old pine trees. I, I loved it when I loved it when company came over. I thought about one of the most powerful phrases that we can ever use as a part of us, Jesus people. And it's a sentence. Do you want to come over to my house? Hey come on over to my house. Pretty powerful phrase. Question. Where would you be without God? And I don't mean eternal salvation. I get that. But your life. God working things out. Blessing. Doing his thing over time. 
Sometimes we're lucky enough and blessed enough to be able to get sort of a reverse picture or a, or a sort of a, a perspective on what God's been doing. That's been this weekend. Who would have been able to say that 50 years ago this would have this has been accomplished? But in retrospect, look how it's been done. I wasn't here 50 years ago, but I remember when I was in the AFC. I had no concept that I would be wanting and yearning to be with you people. I mean, I loved you. Don't take it personally. But I mean, you don't have a concept of how important and vitally soul-lifting it is to gather back again in these core groups I mean, it was focused on then and volleyball and we were, you know, playing games and there was a retreat coming up and all that was good. But in retrospect, sending here now those late 80s, early 90s days, man, get away from it a little bit. You start loving you some reunions. Because they're a big deal. And so we get to see how the Holy Spirit has been working. Can't you? So what would your life be like without God? Not salvation. Day after week, after month, after year. Without God. What's his best and most common tool? And you've heard it a little bit already this morning. Um, It's you. It's people. Do me a favor. In your head, make a list, a short list we'll call it, of the most impactful, important people in your life. And see if you don't come up with Jesus people. And God people. And if you're like me and others, and Kelly mentioned it himself, it could be in this room. That's what I call the power of life to life. The encouragement, the befriending, the appreciating, the blessing, the believing in, sometimes just the simple presence of people have fed me life to life. If you want to see a little bit of it, you can step out in any of the monitors. Park yourself. If it's one of the videos, listen for the voices and the laughter. But if it's just slideshows and just going, spinning, slide to slide to slide. Park yourself and you'll see. What will you see? Life to life. We have a few pictures here. Life to life. Fun times, sentimental times, difficult times. Memory road is really often a really fun road to travel down. I remember, humor me, HEB Foundation Camp in Lakey, Texas. We would drive all night Friday night drive the bus 
through a river, through an opening that shouldn't have fit a bus and sometimes didn't, (laughs) to HEB Foundation Camp just set in such a picturesque place on the banks of the East Frio River. We'd spend all day there Saturday. Can you see it? Hensel. I always associated Hensel with dirt. (laughs) Just a lot of dirt. But it was people, horseshoes, washers, massage ranch, the screen door of the mess hall slamming shut over and over and over as people go in and out. And those are great places. I love all those places. They're all there. Can you, some of you maybe remember the old building, the accordion doors that shut in the back. Amazingly, the architect of that building situated it so when you walked in the front doors about 10 feet away, you just ran into a wall. I don't know if you remember that. There was just a long wall. Where's the rest of the building? It's behind the wall. All those places are still there. Masai's Ranch, for example, our most recent location for SOAR, sits out there this morning, maybe empty. And I could go back there, I could drive over there, but I don't want to be there. I want to be right here. Because what populates my memory is not the places, it's the people that populated those places, and that's you. All those places are important, but they don't exist for me in any attractive fashion without you, without you sitting there. There is often at the end of services or other maybe formal gatherings, a graduation service, for example, sometimes, we'll have a benediction, and it's gotten sort of slotted down too often maybe as the ending thing, and that's fine. It can go wherever you want to go, want the benediction to go. The point is, the benediction is a blessing. It's an appreciation. It's a word of encouragement. It's, um, I see Jesus in you. I see how God's working through you and in you. I can see them all around you. Maybe you're like me, that my weekend has been full of benedictions. I want to show you a couple of verses. They're both from Hebrews. The first one's from chapter 3. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what today is? Today. You know why I love this verse? Because I love the word exhorting. And I need to be exhorted. And sometimes you need to be exhorted. Because sin is pretty deceitful. And Satan's pretty tricky. If I'm not careful, I sort of be hardened by it. So I depend on your exhorting, and you're the tool by which God exhorts me. And I'm the tool by which maybe you can be exhorted by me. And then the next verse, Hebrews 10, what a great word stir is. And let us consider how to stir 
up one another to love and good works. And I've been considering stirring. And it's life to life. It's good words, life-giving words. Hugs, smiles, anything that says we're together, you and me. I'm all about that. We have another slide from Devo. This is the uh, same Devo. We've just sang the Lord bless you and keep you. We circle up arms draped around shoulders and around waist together. It's people. It's always been people. It's always life to life. Memory road's good, but we can't get stuck on it. There's so many more memories to be made. Sometimes when my kids are headed out, I'll say, make some good memories. And I love the memories, but there's more to be made. There's more benedictions to be given. There's more life to life to be had. So, stay close. Keep in touch. Take care of each other. And don't let people slip away. The health of our souls depends on it. Thank you so much, Brian. Uh, not just for the message, but for your life that you're passing on. I think of the legacy. You're so gifted, and I appreciate you pouring yourself out all the time, but especially for what's going on this whole weekend. And can we give a special shout-out to Hayden? I don't know where you are. <laughs> you are a rock star, girl. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, just so you know, I get it. Um, those who don't know me, I'm Dean, uh, lead minister here. I uh, am a product of campus ministry. I wouldn't be here in any sense of the word that matters without campus ministry. God brought me back to him in campus ministry. He brought my wife to Christ in campus ministry. We uh, got to know each other there. We got married there and then served for 16 years as campus minister in Virginia and in Texas. I get it. And I just want to say thank you to a church that gets it. It says it's worth investing in something that you may not see the fruit of for years. Thank you for this church. And thank you to all of you that make this legacy possible. Brian asked me to speak for a minute on legacy, so let's, let's do this. I want to share out of one of my favorite passages of the Bible. We're going to do this quickly, so buckle up, okay? So 1 Kings 19 comes on the heels of what had happened right before one of the great moments in a prophet's life. We'll talk about that in a moment where, where God uses Elijah to vanquish 
hundreds of prophets of a pagan prophet Baal, and this is how it picks up. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord, 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab, the evil king of Israel, told Jezebel, his wife, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Now I'm going to kind of skip through here and summarize some things. Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Skipping down to verse 4, came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He goes to sleep. God takes him on a journey. He feeds him miraculously bread in the wilderness. Takes him on a journey for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there, in verse 9, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives a speech. I've been zealous, been sticking up for you. They're trying to kill me. And God takes him up to the top of a mountain. This is usually what people preach on in this text. We're just going to go over this pretty quickly. God comes in an earthquake, a fire, he's not there, still small voice speaks, and what does he say? Verse 13, a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He gives a speech again, I've been zealous, they're trying to kill me. Verse 15, God said to him, go back the way you came. Anoint Haziel, king over Aram, anoint Jehu, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. And it ends in verse 18, God says, by the way, still reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to pale. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the things I loved about having college students around us as we're doing college ministry is just to be around students and have our children around students and have those folks a little bit older that are going through their own spiritual journeys and our kids got to watch that. But I'll also be honest too, to you that um, one of my favorite things is we had a lot of babysitters. <laughs> and I remember one time it was a college student that helped us figure out a mystery in our household when our daughter was three years old. Because what was going on is our goldfish kept dying. Now I know that's not a huge mystery, goldfish do that. But our goldfish kept dying again and again. And finally I got to a point as a dad, I'm like, like, I'm not doing this anymore. She's not going through it. I'm not buying these things anymore. We're not going to do this anymore. The only problem was our three-year-old daughter, Christine, had a dream. <laughs> and her dream was she was going to have a goldfish. It was going to be named Dorothy because that's Elmo's fish. And she's going to keep this <laughs> for some time. Uh, so she went over our head, by the way. I, she never asked us for another fish. We would just put her to bed, and every night she prayed, I kid you not, for a year. God, please give me another fish like Dorothy. <laughs> and so the faith of my daughter is on the line, and we get her another fish, and what happened? It died. We go on a date night once, come back, college student's been watching our daughter. She said, I learned something tonight. I said, yeah. She said, Christine was telling us about how she took care of her fish so beautifully, and she fed Dorothy, and she talked to Dorothy, and every night she would take Dorothy out and pet her, <laughs> and put her back in the bowl. <laughs> Mystery solved. <laughs> we ask questions, and I suspect it was somewhere in my daughter's heart. We ask questions when we're three, three, and the questions stay the same, but the reasons mature. What do you do when life shatters your dreams? 
What do you do when life shatters your dreams? I'm not talking about goldfish dreams. I'm not talking about getting rich and famous dreams. I'm talking about the real ones. What do you do? It's important to ask. We celebrate on a weekend like this, but we also need to ask those deeper questions because sometimes on a weekend like this, we can, we can beat ourselves up a little bit. Am I the person I want to be? We can say that about a church. Are we still the church that we've been? What do you do when life shatters your dreams? Did a marriage for a friend of mine. What's his dream? Simple dream. Just to grow up with his wife, have children, all of that. Within two years, she left him. In my doctoral work, I studied a theologian and a minister, and I remember reading his first book where he dedicated to his children. He dedicated his life's work to his children to be raised in the faith and to pass it on to the next generation. And this is what he wrote in the last book I read. My children have found the Christian faith too difficult for them and dropped out. What do you do when life shatters your dream? God takes Elijah here in a dream-shattering moment to a few mountains and shows us what God does in those kind of moments. And it might be helpful for us as we wrap up this weekend to think about it. So before we understand what, the, what we just read in this particular passage, I've got to take you back to what quickly happened in chapter 18. And the important thing to start with is that Elijah had a dream. As a prophet, the simple dream was this. Get the people of God to make a choice. Choose God, or you can choose this Baal, but just make a decision. Now, here's the thing. If you're like me, I often would read the Old Testament. I would look at language about idolatry, and I would think what they're doing is they're kicking God, the God of the Bible, out, and they're going and worshiping this pagan god, Baal. That's not the way idolatry ever works, and it wasn't that way for them. Idolatry is more like this. I don't know. We worship God of the Bible on Sunday, and then we go and spend our time with all of the rest of the idols during the rest of the week. That's the way idolatry works. And for them, it wasn't that they totally kicked the God of the Bible out. They were just hedging their bets. So when they were fighting battles, they worshiped the God of the Bible because he did a really good job in Egypt. But when they wanted crops and kids, they worshiped Baal because he was the fertility God who brought rain and children. And Elijah had a simple dream. Make up your mind. And what happens in chapter 18 is what I call a mountaintop experience. If you're a prophet. It is an AFC reunion kind of high. It's a retreat weekend kind of high. It's a camp kind of high. Have you had the mountaintop experience before? For a prophet, what happens in chapter 18 is nothing but a mountaintop experience. Because this is what happens. I call it the showdown of the gods. Elijah says, we're going to decide right now, once and for all, who the real God is. And so we're going to do it in good old Texas style. We're going to throw a couple of steaks on the grill, and whichever God charbroils the steak is the real God. <laughs> now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's in there. Go look at it. And what's great is he gives, he gives Baal home court advantage. What do I mean by that? Baal is the storm god. What are his weapons? Rain and lightning, fire from heaven. So he says, your court, you get to go first too. And so he sets them up and they go do that. And they chant and they pray and they run all around and they mutilate themselves to cry out to their god. And this is why it's, I'm a little bit strange. This is why it's one of my favorite Stories in all the Bible. In verse 27, I kid you not, it says, and Elijah began to taunt them. <laughs> Look, it's not always easy to be a prophet, but every now and then you get to taunt somebody in the name of Jesus. 
And he does. He go look at it. He says, maybe your God is busy or he is sleeping or he is traveling. That's what it says in the NIV. But trust me, the Hebrew is raw. The only one that I, the only modern translation that actually has the courage to actually translate what it says, I think is the New Living Translation. Go look it up. This is what it says. Maybe he is relieving himself. It's in the Bible. Okay, look, I'm surely he's a God just shout louder. He's in the John. When he flushes, he'll answer you. And it's almost comical until we get to the, one of the most chilling verses in the Bible, verse 29. No one listened, no one answered, no one paid attention. Quick thought, everybody worships a God. Even the most devout atheist banks your life on something. I'm telling you, this moment reminds us there will come a time where you will cry out to your God, and the only question is, will you hear anything in response? Be careful what you choose to worship. Nothing. No one answered, no one listened, no one paid attention. Now it's Elijah's turn. And I'm telling you, for a prophet that's trying to get them to make a decision, this is a mountaintop moment. He prays. He doesn't have to dance or sing or cry out. He just prays, God, would you do something? Fire from heaven. <laughs> doesn't just burn up the steak. It burns up the grill and the water all around, by the way, thumbing his nose in the weapons of Baal, fire and water. 450 prophets of Baal are vanquished in that moment. Then, one more thumbing the nose at Baal's power. He prays, and it rains for the first time in three and a half years. And if that's not enough for a mountaintop moment for the prophet, then he outruns the king's chariot all the way back home. I'm telling you, Brian, if you wanted to have an outreach event on A&M, how cool would it be if you say, look, I'm going to prove that Jesus is the real God, and you pray, fire erupts over Kyle Field. <laughs> And all of the SEC foes are vanquished in a moment. <laughs> and the weather and all that kind of stuff happens. And then on top of it, Brian outruns a Tesla all the way to Dallas. <laughs> this is a mountaintop moment, is it not? Which is why, here again, one of the strangest verses in the Old Testament Verse 3, chapter 19, put it up there. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Warning, by the way, the Bible is always a reality check for us. Sometimes the darkest valleys come after the highest highs. Sometimes the darkest valleys come after the highest highs. Just be aware of that. Why do we need this text as we end this weekend? Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. What in the world is he afraid of? Well, he ran for his life. And first time I ever read this, I thought, well, he's afraid he's going to die. That makes no sense at all, does it? At least two things in the text tell us he's not afraid of dying. First of all, in verse 4, what does he ask God for? To die. <laughs> Don't think he's afraid of it. He's asking for it. Even more, what just happened in chapter 18? He prays fire from heaven. He prays rain. 450 prophets of Baal are gone. At the very least, people, he could outrun them. I don't think he's afraid of death. Again, on a weekend like this, we've got to be reminded of this. Because I think his fear is the fear of every human being, and sometimes it's a fear that runs deeper than death. I think his fear was a fear of failure. 
In verse 4, it's translated here in the NIV, I'm no better than my ancestors. One translation nails the Hebrew more literally. He says, I cannot live up to my ancestors. And I picture it this way, that as he's doing his prophetic work and his prophetic ministry, he's got a picture of Moses over the fireplace. And time and time again, as things are not working out, he's thinking, I can't do what this guy did. Anybody who's ever done ministry in campus ministry like me, I can't be Bob Davidson. And when things don't go the way you want them to go, or it doesn't look like the way it used to look, there can be these moments we feel failure. What do you think Elijah thought would happen after chapter 18? Fire and all that kind of stuff. His dream is to make people make a choice. I think he thought, okay, I'm going to post on Israel's Instagram. I'm going to have a revival, and everybody's going to come, and they're all going to repent. They're all going to come to God. And the first thing that happens in chapter 19, the king and the queen don't repent. Elijah says, I'm done. Can't live up to this. And he deals with the fear of failure. He is sitting there in the midst of shattered dreams. What does God do? Quickly, two things. First, we don't have time for the one. I'll just mention it to you. God takes him on a very familiar journey. I mentioned this before, the folks that are here. Sometimes the Bible will tell you one story, and you will hear echoes of another story. You've got to put them together. So have you heard some of these echoes? Let's think about this. He travels for 40 days and 40 nights. He is sustained by miraculous bread. Have we heard this somewhere before? And God puts him in a place where his glory passes by in a cave. We might call it the cleft of a rock. And he takes him to a place here called Horeb. We know it better as Sinai. Have we heard this story before? God replays for Elijah in his fear moment what he did for Moses years before. He takes him to the guy in the picture and says, by the way, he wasn't always the hero. He had fears and he had failures too. And I got him through it. Hear me. Whatever you're facing, God was saying to Elijah what he says to us today. It may be new for you, but it's not new for God. He's been there before. And whatever pain you face, whatever struggle you face, whatever, yes, failure you look at in the face, God says, not new to me, we've been there. But the part that I most want you to see on this weekend is the question that he asked, not once but twice. What does he say to Elijah? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Yes, God took him to the mountaintop, and he fed him, and he sustained him, and he refreshed him. God gave him a mountaintop experience. But hear me, the mountain is not where he was supposed to stay. You don't stay on the mountaintop. We have reunion highs, and we have retreat highs, and we have camp highs. It's great, but just don't stay at the camp. God says, verse 15, go back in the city and finish the work I called you to do. In other words, he said to Elijah what he's saying to all of us, whether you're in children's ministry or whether you're in your golden years, hear me, I'm not finished with you yet. Yes, we celebrate 50 years in a college ministry, and God ain't done yet. We celebrated 100 years in the A&M church. Wonderful. God isn't finished yet. And whoever sits in this room, again, whether you are the youngest child or whether you are the latest in the golden years, God's not done with you yet. 
And are we going to trust him to take whatever it is we have to give and do something long-term that we may not even see until years from now? I say that because you know, don't you? There was one more mountain God had Elijah to go to. Did you know that? Elijah didn't know he was going there. He died not knowing he was going there. One more mountain. They, scholars tell us this is the place in the world today. We don't know exactly where it was, but we do know in the Bible where it was. Sometime go look at Mark chapter 9 where it says Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up to a high mountain and was transfigured before them. The glory of Jesus shone and he brought two people with them, Moses and... And the story ends with Moses and Elijah fading away as if Elijah is passing the baton, hear me, to the one who would finish the work that God started in him. And this moment is the fulfillment, have you heard this before? Of the last verse in the Old Testament, that Elijah died not knowing would ever be written. Here's what it says. God says, I will send Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I'm going to send Elijah to you. And Elijah died not knowing his whole life was going to be an example and a picture of the one who would come and get it all right and never fail. His whole life, he died probably wondering if he did what he was supposed to do. And he died not knowing God was going to use his entire life as a picture of the way God's world was intended to be. Reminds me of one of the most important days in the life of my marriage. For years I've heard about Grandma's farm, Melanie's grandmother, and we went one time to the farm. And we saw this place. Grandma has since gone on to Jesus. But this man who built everything on that farm, Willie Davis, Melanie's grandfather, I never got the chance to meet him. But we walked the land one that, that one day, and I'd never known before, what, what is it about this place? So special, because he built everything there. The house behind you, he built it all. Uh, the outbuildings, he built all of that. He even invented and built a corn shucker. I don't know how you do that, but he did. Built an airplane. Don't know if it ever totally got to fly. I'm not sure if it'd be a good thing if it did, but he built an airplane. He built it all. We were walking that day, Daughter Christine was next to me, holding her hand on this side. My wife was next to me on this side, was holding her hand, and we were walking there on the property. And we came up, and I saw the rusty wheels of this old trailer. To understand the significance of this moment, you need to realize, look, we know this is true for all of us, right? Isn't there some place when you're a child that's the place? It's magic. It's the place where you feel the most loved. It's the place where you feel the most safe. It's that place. And forever I'd heard Melly talk about this farm is that place. But I never knew why before this moment. And we walked up there and she told me about how granddad would scoop her up in those calloused farmer's hands of hers, his, and put her on that trailer and drive her all over that property. And then she said the words I will never forget. She said, Dean, when we were here, Everything was all right. Now, if you go to a little church, even today, in Charlottesville, Virginia, and you sit in the right place, they still have songbooks, and you, if you sit in the right place, you'll pull out a songbook, and you'll open it up, and inside that book, it says, Dedicated to Willie R. Davis. Listen to me. 
a man who I'm quite sure died not knowing that God was going to use his life to give one little girl a picture of the way the world was supposed to be. He was just being a granddad. But God says, I'm going to use your life to paint a picture to this little girl of the way the world was intended to be. Don't ever underestimate what God will do with one person who gives their lives to him. Don't ever underestimate what God will do through one ministry who says, I'm yours. Don't ever underestimate what God will do through one church who is imperfect and broken as we are. Say, God, here we go. It's all, it's all we have. Because I promise you there will come a day when God is going to come and fix everything that is shattered in this world And he's going to recreate everything. You're going to be in a place where you're walking the land of the one who made it all. And he's going to scoop you up in these nail-pierced hands. And in that moment, everything will be all right. But before that day, I have one question to leave you with. What are you doing here?